Charismatic, passionate, has integrity, humble, servant, faithful, inspiring, persevering, positive, flexible, driven. This is who we are that call ourselves leaders. Helping business leaders grow themselves, their team, and their profits. This is the Entree Leadership Podcast. Now, here is your host, Ken Coleman. Coming to you from the Music City, this is the podcast of leaders, by leaders, and for leaders. I'm your host, Ken Coleman. This is going to be a fun episode, a little bit of a twist. We have two conversations that we have coming up for you. The first with Rabbi Daniel Lappin, and we're going to talk about his book, Business Secrets from the Bible. And Rory Vaden, a good friend, has got a new book out called Procrastinate on Purpose. You're going to get a lot out of these conversations. And uh, Clayton Mask joins us in just a minute. Now, I want to give you a, a disclaimer here. For those of you who may have never cracked open a Bible, or it's been a long time, don't freak out and fast forward here. Because a central part of this conversation that Rabbi Lappin addresses is that the facts remain. This is not a politically incorrect statement that many, many Jewish people, a disproportionate amount of Jewish people are very successful in business. Is it because of their heritage? He would suggest not. It is rather because of their discipline to follow what the scriptures say about business and treating people. So this is not going to be a Bible study. All right, there's the disclaimer. We'll discuss that and so much more. So stay tuned for that. Uh, And by the way, we will give away 50 books. So the giveaway continues. So that's just a little bit of what's coming. And so let's get right down to business. Okay, folks, really enjoying our business tip of the week from Infusionsoft. Before we get to our feature conversation, we're going to touch base with Clay Mask, the CEO of Infusionsoft. He's on the line with us now. Clay, good to talk to you again, sir. How are you? Doing great. Great to be with you, Ken. All right, man, here we go. Question of this episode. How do busy entrepreneurs, because that's our audience, how do they maintain personal relationships with customers? Well, that's, it's a great question because the fact is your customers, your prospects need to receive the touch from you that helps them build trust with you. That only comes through communication. And so there are three ways that you can do this as a busy entrepreneur. Number one, you can spend your time doing it. And since you don't have a lot of time, that's probably not exactly the answer folks want to hear. Number two, you can hire people to do that for you. Let's face it, this is what a lot of big businesses do. But it's expensive. So not necessarily the greatest answer. The third way to do it is to put systems in place that help to scale and enhance your communication with your customers so that you are able to be right there giving them that personal touch. And not surprisingly, of the three choices, spend more of your time, hire more people, or put systems in place, I'm a big fan of putting systems in place. Yes, and that will help entrepreneurs not go crazy as well. All right, Clay, tell us why Infusionsoft exists and how you can help our audience grow their business. You bet. We exist to help small businesses succeed. We help them use our sales and marketing software so that they can get organized, grow sales, and save time and have the life that they want. All right, folks, to learn more about how Infusionsoft can help you, very simple, go to Infusionsoft.com slash Entree, Infusionsoft.com slash Entree. Clay, always love when you give us some valuable wisdom. We'll talk with you again soon, man. Thanks, Ken. 
Well, folks, we've been telling you about our Entree Leadership Summit, which is coming up in May. I'll give you the dates and some details later. One of our speakers is Rabbi Daniel Lappin, a longtime friend of Dave's. And so as a result, we get the opportunity to get on the phone with him and talk. This guy is one of the most fascinating, most brilliant people I've ever had a chance to talk to. And so it's always a treat when you get him on. And the book that we're basing our discussion around is Business Secrets from the Bible, Spiritual Success Strategies for Financial Abundance. Now, stay tuned, because after the conversation, I'm going to tell you how to tweet to win 50 copies. Here is my conversation with the rabbi himself. Rabbi Lappin, I would love for those who have yet to read Business Secrets from the Bible, I would love for you to give them a summary of what you have set out to do in this book and what you give us. Um, Sure, I'd I'd love to do that, and and particularly because I know that your listeners are are famous for being serious about money, serious about their desire to improve their financial situations, uh, not only by reducing and eliminating debt, but also by increasing earnings, by creating greater revenue. And that's what this book is really all about. You see, if, if you don't mind me being just a teensy-weensy little bit politically incorrect... Oh, go for it. I will say something which <laughs> I sometimes laugh because, as most people suspect, if anybody other than a circumcised Orthodox Jewish rabbi said this, people would probably start screaming about bigotry. <laughs> and all. But anyway, the bottom line is something very true. You'd have to be a recent immigrant from outer Mongolia not to know that Jews are disproportionately good with money. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean there are no poor Jews. There are, but it just means that overwhelming numbers of, of Jews are uh, extremely good with money, have created very strong revenue streams. And this has been true at all times and at all places. And so one of the impetuses for the book for me was to do a very serious analysis. It took many years to say, look, um, is this due to Jewish qualities? Is, is, it, ra- is it racial? Anyway, it was, it was not that hard to eliminate all the stupid false explanations and to debunk silly theories for Jewish business success. Um, It boiled down very, very simply to a vast body of tips and tools and techniques contained in ancient Jewish wisdom and based on the Bible, which has always been the the guidebook for the people of Israel. And and then I set about uh, condensing them into 40 spiritual strategies. And that became the book. We're talking about business secrets from the Bible. Spiritual Success Strategies for Financial Abundance. And then what was so fascinating to me was to discover that one of the big questions that um, people in academia are fearful of asking is why is it that what they call the West or Western civilization or Western countries Um, have always done so much better than the rest of the world in terms of wealth creation, whether it was Great Britain during the the high points of the British Empire, and it was even before that, even in colonial times. I mean, it took a while for America and the United States to to become dominant in the world. Uh, From the time our country was formed for a long time, England was still the financial dominant force in the world. And uh, there have been many, many theories advanced for this. And, of course, you know, 
everybody is is petrified lest it be a racial explanation. You know, white people make more money than people with different color skin. I mean, complete nonsensical things came out because people were so bewildered. It was so noticeable that this small group of human beings have created so much more wealth on the planet. And by the way, the obvious proof of you don't even have to look at the financial numbers or look where manufacturing was. And again, China is now is now growing. I can talk about that. But the important point is that when everything is factored out, the bottom line is that countries that were rooted in the Bible as Western civilization was, remember that when Gutenberg invented the printing press in 1450, the very first book he printed was not the Vienna Telephone Directory, it was the Bible. And um, and so once we've established, as I do in this book, that the Bible is primarily responsible for cultures that are successful, then it's no big jump from there to realize that just as the Bible has uh, transformed the financial destiny of nations, it can do that for individuals as well. And uh, and that's exactly what I did in this book. I reduced it to 40 practical, simple strategies that anybody can begin to employ in their lives to make certain that uh, your financial revenue creation starts climbing mm. and climbing measurably and significantly. And um, it's just one of those fascinating and wonderful parts of my life. And, and you, know, you know how excited Dave gets when people are able to call and say, I'm debt-free. Oh, yes. And, and for me, it's very similar when people call and say, you know, I doubled my income this year over last year based on just doing what this book says to do. Mm. And uh, it, just, it, it, it just makes the day every time I speak to someone like that. Well, I think we should all be purposeful to spend time with a rabbi because of the very point you just made. And and I want to, I'm a little bit of a nerd here, and for our listeners who may not know the Bible well, uh, this is an important question, I believe. And, and Rabbi, I want you to tell us why 40 business secrets. You could have chosen, I guess, any numbers, bright as you are, and as well as you've studied the scriptures. But the, the, I know as a, as a Baptist preacher's kid that the number 40 has tremendous significance throughout the Bible. Exactly. Did, did that shape why you came up with 40? Oh, very much so. And I didn't even come up with it. It just leaped off the pages oh. automatically. It was almost as if um, I was just being the agent of putting it all together. But I, I didn't know you were a preacher's kid. I am, too. We're both yes. preacher's kids. We are That's PKs. Cool. Yes, yes, yes. So I'm nerding out on the number 40 because I know how big of a deal that number is. Well, yes, it keeps showing up in the Bible. I mean, not only do you have um, the rain in Noah's Ark for 40 days and 40 nights, not only do you have Moses sitting up on Mount Sinai writing down the Ten Commandments for 40 days and 40 nights, but you also get the um, number of years in the reigns of various Jewish kings through the books of uh, prophets. And uh, in the, the kings of Israel, this number just keeps on showing up again and again and again. The explanation for the number four, why, why this is so important, is essentially you only need four things in order to make everything on Earth. You need electrons, protons, neutrons, and what we call nuclear energy to hold it all together, basically the glue. That's, that's all it takes. Whether you're looking at a piece of plastic or you're looking at uh, the sky or the air you breathe or the wood on a tree or the snow coming down somewhere, 
all of these things are just made up of the right combination of four things. And so wherever we see this, this pattern repeats itself, that in ancient Jewish wisdom, four is the element of creativity. Four is absolutely unique. And so since we're talking about literally the creation of wealth, and that's important because governments cannot make money. Governments can only move money around. They can take it from Peter and give it to Paul. But human beings are capable of creating wealth. And, um, and when I create some money, I haven't taken it from anybody else because the person who put it in my hand, and it might be a client, it might be a boss, it might be a relative, it might, who knows, but whoever put that money in my pocket or in my hand or in my bank account did not do it because I was pointing a gun at him. He did it because whatever it was I exchanged for that money, my labor, my goods, my services, whatever it was, he valued at more. And so the amazing thing is that when two human beings complete a transaction, their genuine financial statements are both higher at the end, that's right. which is de facto evidence that money was created. And so that's why 40 is the right number of, um, to condense the spiritual tools and tips and techniques from the Bible for making money. One of the things I want to have you weigh in on is, for our audience, not everybody is just naturally positive or optimistic is the word we use. And you talk about this, and I find this to be fascinating uh, because you would assert that we can all become optimists. And so here's the question. Why should we pursue that goal to be an optimist? Uh, How, for those who just don't find it naturally, and then why is it such a huge advantage? Um, Optimism I mean, it's crucially important in business. But here's the interesting thing. Before I explain that, um, it so happens that once we recognize that we're all in business, optimism is crucial. Now, anything that is good for business is generally good for society as well, Mm. because the good Lord created, in my view. Now, some people will take a, a secular sociological perspective on this, and that's fine. It doesn't make any difference. We all arrive at the same point, which is that the characteristics that are good in business are also good for society. What do I mean by that? Look, um, I don't know about you, but I suspect you're the same as me in the sense that life is too short to hang around pessimistic people. Absolutely. It's just painful. Yeah, they just suck the energy out of you. They they literally suck all of your energy. If people sit around whining and grumbling about how bad things are and they're getting worse. I, I can't be there. They pull me down. They make me unhappy. It's not worth it. Compared to the joy I get from being around optimistic people, I just don't do it. And I'm not alone in this. And in exactly the same way that I think everybody understands that in order to do well at whatever you do, and I don't care if, if you're in business for yourself or you're an employee, your success will be a factor of your optimism. It means people will like to work with you, people will like to hire you, people would like to buy stuff from you, people would like to hang around you, but whatever it is, optimism is is incredibly useful. It's also obviously very useful in terms of uh, dealing with the setbacks that inevitably accompany any business career. No matter what you're doing, as you're trying to create wealth and build up your bank account and increase your resources, you are going to have setbacks. To be able to face those with optimism is enormously beneficial. And uh, there's a famous study that I speak about, which uh, MetLife Insurance, showing that their agents, the biggest predictor of success was optimism. It was not IQ, 
It was not um, how brilliant they were. It was not uh, the scores they got at college or even if they went to college in the first place. The most reliable predictor of how well you would do as an insurance agent was the measure of your optimism. And um, and so one of the things, I, can, can I take another minute on this topic? Oh, I'm fascinated. I'm never going to stop you, sir. <laughs> okay. One of the things we point out is the fundamental difference between people and animals. And this may sound uh, frivolous, it may sound as if I'm being simplistic, but I'm not. I'm really being very serious when I say that uh, one of the chief characteristics of animals is that a cat or a cow or a kangaroo or a camel are going to be a cat and a cow and a kangaroo and a camel in 10 years' time if they're still alive. They're not going to change. They're not going to be anything else at all. But me... Me, I'm not the same as I was 10 years ago. I don't, I don't even want you to judge me on what I was 10 years ago because I've been trying to make myself better since then. Mm. And you can talk to somebody. And we know people who were homeless 10 years ago and who today are making a lot of money. People can change. Animals cannot. And so when somebody says, look, I'm just not an optimistic person, you know, and I've had people say this, look, you know, you're like, you know, you're just up all the time and it's all true. Whenever you come out on the stage, you seem so positive and so, you know, you get on the radio, you sound positive and all. And I'm not like that. I'm sorry. I've had a tough life. There are things about me that are different. I'm just not always up. And, um, you know, I wait till the person has got those things off his shoulder. He He obviously wants to vent a little bit. And then we talk about the fact that you can change. You don't have to be tomorrow what you are today. And I accept that today you're a whiny, pessimistic, unpleasant, miserable sort of human being. But that doesn't mean you have to be that tomorrow. All you need is the determination to change and the technology. And in my book, Business Secrets from the Bible, I lay out a section on how to change your optimism, how to become a much more optimistic person. I'll just give you one uh, little close, little insight to sort of close this part of our conversation. And it's so simple, and it's so powerful, and it's so effective. And that is, you have to find five people a day to say thank you to. Mm. But not thank you with averted eyes as you sort of slide by, but a genuine thank you. And whether it's the checker at the market or the uh, flight attendant as you get off the air- airplane, then my friend Zig Ziglar always used to be meticulous about this for the same reason. He, he was abundant with his appreciation and his gratitude. And he always said he was quite right. He said, not only does it make them feel better, but more importantly, it makes me more optimistic. Yes. So um, uh, that, that's a, that's a no, no-brainer. Absolutely. And, I, and in the same track, you have another axiom that you teach, and I think it's so very important for our entrepreneurs that are listening in here to get this. You say that our success is linked to how many people one knows. So now if we can be positive and optimistic and thankful and grateful and then meet as many people as possible, you say that has a direct effect on our success. How? Well, yes. Um, the fact is that... Uh Money is made only and always when one, and again, this is how I put it, money is made only when one of God's children serves another. Money cannot be made by computers. You can't set your computer up and then go take a hike. Money is made when one human being serves another human being. Now, you might use your computers for doing so. You might use... A, a wrench, it doesn't make any difference what tool you use. But bottom line is, 
Money is created when one human being serves another human being. In Business Secrets from the Bible, I actually lay out financial examples so as you can see how this actually does work. That when one human being serves another human being, money is created. Now, how do you serve other human beings? Well, this is one of the reasons that historically Jews used to adopt last names that revealed what it was they did to help their fellow human beings. Uh, so Jews traditionally sought out last names. When last names, only a few hundred years ago, when last names began to become prevalent, uh, Jews sought out names like uh, the late great business management expert Peter Drucker was a Jew, but his family were printers. And Drucker in German was uh, the word for printer. His name would indicate what he did, whether it was a blacksmith. And then you had uh, Silverman or Goldman or, or, you know, all of the silver, gold, diamond, diamond names. And so this was like walking around with a great big billboard. This told people how you could help them. And so we always saw advertising in ancient Jewish wisdom. Advertising was part of human kindness. It, we, didn't, we were not cynical about it. Advertising was one of the ways we let you know how we could help you, how we could make your life better. Mm. And when you've done all that, obviously, uh, your success will be proportional to the number of people that know you, like you, and trust you. Those are the three steps. And one of the things we cover in Business Secrets from the Bible is uh, how to expand the number of people who know you, and out of that group, how to expand the number who like you, and out of that group, to expand the number of people who trust you. And I um, can't wait to, to go into many of these things in even greater depth when we all get together at, uh, at the Entre Leadership Program in May near San Diego. And I, I don't know, I think we've got only a few tickets, only a few seats left for that, but right. uh, people can inquire about it. But, um, but we're going to cover all of these things and, and a whole lot more because you've got to know the secrets of how to get more people to know you, more people to like you, and more people to trust you. And that's why I said earlier that what's good for business is good for society. And, uh, and I often point that out. I mean, would you rather deal with somebody who's trying to get your business or would you rather deal with a politician who's issuing orders because of a sense of power and authority? Oh, business every I, I time. I love dealing with business people yes. because they always say, have a nice day. That's exactly right. I've never yet walked out of, a, uh, out of a police station or a post office or any government office where somebody actually cares about me in any way at all. Mm, well, that's so true. Well, folks, that's just a little bit with one of the wisest men on the planet. He's a dear friend of Dave, which makes him a dear friend of our organization. And the book, again, is Business Secrets from the Bible, Spiritual Success Strategies for Financial Abundance. He will be with us, along with John Maxwell, Patrick Lincioni, Dave Ramsey, Chris Hogan, Chrissy Wright, and all of you at the Entree Leadership Summit. So again, we'd love to have you out there. Details, of course, at EntreeLeadership.com. Rabbi, you are so wonderful, so refreshing, and I know all of us are better for this conversation. So on behalf of our entire audience, thank you, sir. Well, thank you. It's always fun speaking with you. And you know what a special place the entire Dave Ramsey organization holds in my heart. And I genuinely, genuinely do believe that, uh, that you and your colleagues and Dave um, have done more for more human beings in America than almost anybody else. You've changed the lives of so many people by bringing them financial peace. And uh, I'm so grateful. 
What a treat, Rabbi Daniel Lappin is. We want to thank the rabbi for being with us and also grateful to him and his publisher for the 50 book giveaway. This is so fun. I got to tell you, this is producer Eric and my uh, favorite part of the podcast because we, we just get to give away books. Here's how you do it. You have to tweet this phrase. The at Entree Leadership Podcast is little change here, so pay attention. The at Entree Leadership Podcast is hashtag conversation that matters. This is what you have to tweet, and you are qualified. Eric will put the names in a hat. I don't know if that's what you actually do. He's shaking his head. So anyway, here's the phrase. The at Entree Leadership Podcast is hashtag conversation that matters. That qualifies you to win one of 50 free copies of Business Secrets from the Bible, Spiritual Success Strategies for Financial Abundance. Also, we have a bonus question for you. And so in this particular episode, we want to give you a bonus question with Rabbi Lappin. Kind of fun. And here was the question. I asked him, who does he believe is one of the better businessmen referenced in ancient scriptures and why? And so you can get that bonus question and answer on entreleadership.com slash podcast. Go enjoy that because it was a really fun question. And uh, of course, he answered it beautifully. All right, folks, it is now time to open Ken's Electronic Mail. Ken's Electronic Mail. You've got mail. Uh, we love your emails, by the way. So before I get to this one email, of course, you can email us anytime. Your thoughts, questions, suggestions, we love it all. Podcast at entreleadership.com. That is the email address, podcast at entreleadership.com. And that comes to me and our producer, Eric. We love your feedback. We recently got an interesting question. By the way, having nothing to do with this podcast, but it fits so beautifully in with the conversation we just had with Rabbi Daniel Lapp. And the email came in from Igor, and uh, I will summarize the question this way. He said, how does God or the spiritual part of you affect your business? The reason I ask is that I see a lot of leaders, and they always talk about God first, family second, and then business. I'm not a spiritual person and really don't know how to find it in myself and how that would help me in my business. Fantastic question, Igor. And I would simply say the start of the answer for you figuring this out for yourself, and that is the key. You have to go figure this out. I can't give you a cookie-cutter answer, but I will say this. As you heard in this conversation with Rabbi Daniel Lappin, there are practical and moral implications of what the Bible says about doing business. And so even if you've never darkened the door of a church, you don't consider yourself a spiritual person, I think you recognize by the actual question that you are a spirit, right? You have a spirit and a soul, and so you're figuring all that out. Here's what I would say. You go get the book, Business Secrets from the Bible, and you begin to just uncover some of the practical applications. Very simple. Second thing is, begin to see what the Bible says about how we should treat people. And so there are the moral or spiritual implications. And whether you believe there's a God or not, as you begin to investigate on your own, because I think that is the whole play. You've got to investigate this on your own and see how the moral, spiritual commands of the Bible, how do they fit into your day-to-day business? I would assert they certainly play in to how you treat people, how you're honest with vendors, customers. So I think there's a lot there. So I would say go dig two books. Number one, the Bible. Number two, business secrets from the Bible. And I think you're on your way. Igor, thank you for the email. And always... Send us your email. We'd love to hear from you. Podcast at entreleadership.com. 
Now, folks, we told you at the start of the podcast that we were going to give you two conversations today. And this is fun for us because we have been busy, have we not, Eric, the producer? Uh, We have been out finding great men and women who we think can speak to you and help you in so many different areas of your professional life and certainly your personal life as well. And Rory Vaden is certainly one of those folks. He's got a brand new book out called Procrastinate on Purpose. And this is great because I am a natural procrastinator. Now, for some of you who the very idea of procrastination is a dirty word, relax. Rory knows what he's doing here. It's a little play on words. It's a clever title, but it's not just a clever title. There are some great takeaways for you in your personal and professional insight. And Rory does both. Listen in to just a bit of our conversation with Rory Vaden. Well, it's so good to be with you, Rory. In studio again, you're a local resident. It's good to have you back in the studio. It's always fun when you drive by. Yeah, it's great. It's good to be here. Yeah, well, I'm really excited about the new book, right? Procrastinate on Purpose, Five Permissions to Multiply Your Time. And I got to tell you, when you emailed me about this months ago, I love the title. I love provocative titles that make you think. Yeah. Because when you say procrastinate on purpose, what do you mean? Well, there's a lot to procrastinate on purpose, but everything that you know about time management is wrong. If you started with that. That's a big statement. That's the opening line of the book. That's the opening line of the book because that's where we started. We said, everything we know about time management, we're completely erasing it. Now what's left, let's go explore. Procrastinate on purpose very quickly. Um, The whole idea is that in a world where there's so much to do, there's more to do than you can ever do. The next generation will be defined not by the things that we do, but the next generation leader is about deciding what not to do. What are the things that you can put off intentionally? How can you delay those things so that you can focus on what really, really matters? And that is a skill that has to be consciously developed in yes. the multipliers, as we call them, the people, we profiled dozens of people, eight of them are included in the book. Uh, the multipliers had this ability to put off the things that didn't matter so that they could really focus on the things that do matter. And so you think of procrastination is, is really a strength. It's a different way of looking at it. It is, but I love where you're going here because, again, this book, you say, is about emotion. Mm. It's not about logic. This book is not about what to do with your time. It's about how to think differently about time. That's the emotional connection. Talk about why emotion is such a huge part of this idea. All right. So if you think of the last 10 time management books you've read, and there's there's hundreds, thousands of them, right? And it's always a to-do list, a way to organize your desk, your calendar, all of these things, right? And, And here's what hits me one day. I'm with, I'm at my business partner, Dustin's house. We have our entire senior team from Southwestern Consulting from around the world flying in this one day we're all together. His little two-year-old Haven, she's the cutest thing you've ever seen. We're walking out and she sprints down the hallway and she leaps and latches onto his legs. And she says, Daddy, don't go. Daddy, no work. No work, Daddy. Oh my gosh. No more work. And my heart broke. Oh, sure. And, and it, it occurred to me for the first time that said, you know what? Time management is no longer logical. Yeah. It's emotional. That's right. The, the feelings of guilt and fear and worry and stress and anxiety and pressure, those are the things that drive how we decide to spend our time as much as anything. And yet you never read anything about that. It's always just how to be more organized, how to have a better system, which is great. There's nothing wrong with that. But 
our exploration was really about understanding the emotional element of time management. You don't need more tools. You don't need more technology. You don't need more calendars. You don't need more checklists. You've heard all that stuff. What most of us need is permission. Mm. We need the emotional permission. And here's the premise of the whole book in one sentence. So it's like, if you don't yeah. remember anything else, <laughs> I'm right. just going to lay it I out love for it. you. I love it. This is, this is the, whole, the whole premise. You give yourself the emotional permission to invest time into things today that create more time tomorrow. Wow, that's so good. I do this a lot already. People know this. I want you to say that again, because that is tweetable. Lock into this. Say that one more time. I'm writing that down. You give yourself the emotional permission to invest time into things today that will give you more time tomorrow. Wow. But as we're profiling multipliers, these people who multiply their time, multiply their results, the people who have leverage in their life, the people who have margin in their life without compromising results, we realize there's a new dimension, what we're referring to as a third dimension of time management, which is not just importance or urgency, but significance. When you add the significance calculation and you say, how long is this going to matter? Everything changes because you start to think, not just how can I be more efficient today, but what is the thing that I can do today that creates more time tomorrow? It's making calculations not just based on the here and now, but on tomorrow and the next day and forever. And so basically, the book, there's five permissions uh, that multiply your time, and procrastinate is one of the five permissions. So it's, it's making a significant use of your time uh, and, and doing, things that, you doing things that really matter. That's it. And the way it becomes obvious that they matter is when you look from a long-term perspective rather than a short-term perspective. That's right. And I love it. All right. So I want to get real practical because this book is just fantastic. Let's talk about the focus funnel because this is really practical. Yeah. So, you know, one of the one of the challenges I've had with certain time management books I read is they're beautiful, but they're so, they're so ornate. There's so much to them. It's like, how do I apply this right. on the fly? So we tried to find something that was a, a dynamic depiction of the thought process that the multipliers used in their head. And so we call this the focus funnel. And so just picture a funnel. And at the top, you have all your tasks coming in, all your stuff, bills to pay, emails to respond to, social media, whatever. The first stage at the top is eliminate. And, and you're going to ask yourself these questions sequentially. If I can't eliminate it, it's going to drop down the funnel to the second stage, which is automate. Can I automate it? If I can't automate it, it's going to drop down to the third stage, which is can I delegate it? If you can't eliminate, automate, or delegate it, it comes out the bottom of the funnel. And then the only question is, does it go left or right? It is a task that must be done, and it must be done by me. But here's the trick. The only last remaining question is, should I do this now, or yes. should I do it later? And we never ask that question, can it wait till later? But it's actually a brilliant question. And if it can wait until later, I am encouraging you. I am inviting you. I am telling you, procrastinate on purpose. There it is. Eliminate, automate, delegate, procrastinate on purpose. And when you procrastinate on purpose, you pop it, as we say. Usually, one of a few things happens. Number one, if it can wait till later and you keep asking yourself that question, you eventually get the courage to do what you should have done in the first place, which is eliminate it. Um, another thing that happens is if you pop it for a while, you'll be amazed that people will step up. They rise to the occasion 
and they will they will take care of it. Okay, and I'm talking to you, entrepreneur. I'm talking to you with your team, and there's a big, big difference between delaying on something you know you should be doing just because you don't feel like it and delaying on something because you're deciding that now is not the right time. Yes. Delaying. That's a great distinction. Big distinction. You know you should do it. You know you ought to do it, but you don't want to. That's procrastination. That's, that's procrastination. That's lazy procrastination. That's lazy procrastination. Purposeful procrastination. That's right. Is where we go, it's not the right time. You're deciding that now. That's right. So inaction that results from indulgence is procrastination. That's good. Inaction that results from intention is, get this, patience. Procrastinate on purpose is a synonym for patience. There it is. I was going to tease that. That's at the very end of the book. That's a nugget right there. Patience is another way of saying procrastinate on purpose. Rory, before we let you go, we've got a we've got a little special thing here you, you've made available mm. for our Entree Leadership Podcast listeners. It's exclusive. Let's talk about it. You're a giving man. What are we doing for them? So this is truly unique. Uh, for those of you that are listening right now, if you go to entreleadership.roryvaden.com, entreleadership.roryvaden.com, we're going to give you for free a nine-week video coaching course with me that walks you through the principles of procrastinate on purpose. So entreleadership.roryvaden.com. Get you one of those free video classes. Nine weeks. You can do this on your own. You can bring your team together. You can do a small group of other business leaders together. EntreLeadership.RoryVaden.com to get the nine-week video series. That's fantastic. My friend, you're a good man. I want to also mention he's on Twitter, at Rory underscore Vaden, V-A-D-E-N. And then, of course, it's great to have you in studio, co-hosted with us a few months ago. And now here you are with the book coming out. Congratulations on the release. It's a fantastic book, folks. Procrastinate on Purpose. Five Permissions to Multiply Your Time. Wow. Fantastic. Go get the book, spread it around, and please take us up on the special offer. I know you'll be better for it. Rory, thank you for being with us. Well, thank you for having me. Well, we're grateful to Rory Vaden for his time. He is a fellow Nashvillian, so it's always great when we have folks stop by the studio and hang out with us. I know you're better for that. Uh, folks, before we wrap up, a couple of quick dates we want you to be aware of. Our Entree Leadership One Days are about ready to fire back up. Three specific dates we want to let you know about. Houston, Texas on March the 10th. Dallas, Texas, March the 13th. And Phoenix, Arizona, March the 24th. Hopefully, Clay Mask will be out there. We can hang out with him. He's, he's from the Phoenix area, so that should be fun. I think we will see him out there. So, again, you can find out about those events at EntreeLeadership.com. And, of course, coming in May, the first ever Entree Leadership Summit featuring Rabbi Daniel Lappin, John Maxwell, Dave Ramsey, Dr. Henry Cloud, Chris Hogan, and Christy Wright. Information at EntreeLeadership.com. Those dates, May 11 through 14. We'd love to see you out there. Well, folks, that's going to do it for this edition of the podcast. As always, on behalf of our entire Entree Leadership team, we want to thank Rabbi Daniel Lappin, Rory Vaden, and you for hanging out and listening to us. We'll talk with you again very soon.